Hey, what's up, Wayfarers family? This is Noah Randolph, teaching pastor here. Got Nick Griffin back in the studio. Welcome yeah. back. COVID free. <laughs> At least we believe. We, I guess you never know these days, but tests was... came back negative. Very thankful for that. And so mm-hmm. we're ready. We're back in person. Uh, we don't have to do the social distanced edition like we did last time. So. All right. <laughs> So. It was it was really weird to just be in the studio by myself. I will say that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it was it was really funny to be sitting at the house, just um, you know, like all the doors shut, trying to make sure that Toby wasn't uh, screaming too much in the background. And um, yeah, it was a whole thing. It was it was weird for me too. I'm glad to be. It it feels good to be back in the back in the studio. <laughs> so, computer died in the middle of us live streaming. So. Hopefully this is going out live right now. Nick's in the back making sure everything's working out fine. There he is. <laughs> Let's try that again. Take two. Right. <laughs> Hopefully no computers die in the middle of this one. <laughs> so It's good you have the iPad here. We can always check. Yeah, check. that's what I'm always using it for. Mm-hmm. I, I've noticed sometimes on the streams... It'll just look like I'm not listening to you at all. Like <laughs> locked in down here. But all I'm doing is just making sure that we're still live. That we're still live and everything's going and well. That, you know, everything is... Proceeding according to plan. <laughs> so. Um, so we... Here we go. We're live again now. Okay, we're cool. So we normally do the icebreakers is what yes, we've but called we're changing, them. But we're, we're going to change the name. the name here for everyone because I don't know. We, we've already broken the ice. Like, I don't feel like we can break the ice anymore than we've already broken the ice, you know? So, uh, I, I came up with the name. Uh, yeah, I like it. We'll, we'll you use like it as a tentative name. We'll use this as a tentative name? Okay, so we're, we're calling this segment Quirky Queries. <laughs> um, if you're mad about that name, just come see me. <laughs> or suggest a better, name, a better one. But, um, yeah, you know. We're, we've just been trying to give opportunities for y'all to get to know us better. It's been really helpful for us, I think. We've been getting to know each other better. My mother said this. that she's learned more about me through this segment than she has <laughs> in me talking to her normally. So I don't know what that means about our relationship, Mom. But <laughs> We're all getting to know each other better. So um, You said you got one re- you've got one prepped ahead of time this time. I now. do. I what, do. What you got for so us? So we're talking about Advent, which is a ritual. And so I figured I'd ask this, um, what is one ritual that you currently do in your normal life? Hmm. Like regularly? Like a regular ritual that like has become sort of a, you know, almost something that, that has transcended just something you do and is now something that you kind of have a spiritual significance to. Yeah. I think the biggest one is, uh, every Sunday we have lunch at my parents' house. My, mm. my brother and his wife, Kendall, and me and Adrian and our son, Toby, and my parents and my grandparents all meet up at my parents' house every Sunday, and we have um, lunch together. Mm. Um, and we've been doing that consistently every week for a long time now. And then what's cool is the Monday afterwards, we always go and we have dinner with Adrian's parents. Mm. And so at least weekly, we get to see my parents and her parents. And that has ended up being um, really, really cool. Like a regular rhythm, yeah. regular ritual thing that we both do. Helps us keep in touch with the family. And I always really enjoy it. 
um, this last week we couldn't because of all the COVID stuff. We were yeah, yeah, yeah. trying to make sure everything was good there. And it was weird, you know, my mom called me and she's like, it's really weird that y'all didn't come over for lunch today. You know, it's such a normal everyday, every week ritual for you. And it's a, it's not a thing. So, mm. um, you can tell it's a ritual when, when you don't do it, it's like weird. Like it weirds you out. Yeah. Like one of those things. So huh. I think that's the one for me. That's uh, sweet. Yeah. It's what like about the- you? It's like, uh, I'm imagining like, uh, I don't know if anybody's watched the show Blue Bloods, but it reminds me a lot of that where they all like have a Sunday evening meal every week and it's like a big trend in all the episodes, but, um, or like Fast and the Furious, yeah, (laughs) a lot less cool, but you know, (laughs) I've been making Adrian rewatch, er, Adrian watched the Fast and the Furious movies with me the Mm -hmm. other day. It was really funny because they're such guy movies. They really are. She's she's in, into it okay. So, <laughs> what about you? Know what's a ritual for you? Um, I would say right now, one of the main ones I've done is actually with a friend of mine, uh, two friends of mine, um, that we both every week we'll go over to um, Zach Jennings actually house and we'll go and we'll cook a meal together and we're all, we always do something different. So it's like, you know, we'll cook. Uh, that's generally where all my Instagram photos for cooking come from is that every, every once a week we'll go over and cook something at his place. And it's always a four hour, five hour long endeavor. Cause we're always doing like crazy, crazy stuff with it. Um, but yeah, no, that's probably the main ritual that I've been doing lately. That's become really meaningful to me has just been able to like, uh, you know, take a bunch of ingredients and go over to someone else's house and be like, all right, for four hours, we're just gonna, you know, enjoy smelling good food and cutting up things and, you know, just really, you know, enjoying, enjoying fellowship with one another. So that's cool. I love that both of our rituals involve involve food. food. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's a really funny one most rituals do though in it really does bible and in um other religions and or denominations um food is a is a pretty central part of a lot of rituals for a lot of people so yeah it's very advantageous you see what i did there <laughs> <laughs> that's a great transition no <laughs> one of these days we're gonna have to start making the transitions without uh, pointing them out every time that we do them, but <laughs> yeah, today we're going to be talking about Advent. I introduced it briefly, very briefly. It was kind of tangentially related to what I was talking about Sunday. My sermon on Sunday was basically all about how I've always been hesitant. As I've gotten older, I've gotten more excited about the new heavens and the new earth, the afterlife, you know, I've been more excited about that as a Christian. But I've been like hesitant to say that out loud because I think a lot of people look down on people that are only Christians because of the afterlife. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to be better than them. I'm, I'm not going to be one of those people. I'm not going to be the one who's just excited about Christianity because of heaven, you know. Um, but the more I both study the Bible and the more that I um, learn about the new heavens and the new earth, the more excited I am for it. And also, I guess I would say, the more I realize how much this earth sucks, I'm more and more excited about the new heavens and the new earth. Um, and so, as I was thinking about that concept of waiting and kind of having this like anticipation and this like excitement for a, for a future that's not here yet, 
um, it really started to connect with a lot of the ideas of what the season and, and ritual of Advent is for a lot of churches. Um, so a lot of those ideas connect um, about that specifically, because I, I think Advent is kind of one of those seasons about waiting and, and anticipation. So, But it's uh, it's one of those things that a lot of people may or may not be familiar with. Yeah, you know, I was about to say, Advent like, what is Advent? What what did Advent mean to you? As a, like, what is it? Like, I, I guess we should like, yeah. you know, say say that for. And, and that's what we're hoping to do with this episode. Yeah. Really, is we're gonna we're gonna unpack it a little bit for you. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what Advent is, um, this will hopefully be like a primer for you, give you <laughs> a little bit of a taste as to um, what Advent is. If you do know what Advent is, um, don't hate us too much if we like don't <laughs> misrepresent it or something like that because um i have noticed advent uh has become really trendy there's a lot of big mega churches that i know of that have started doing advent seasons and advent calendars are like a big thing now you can find them on like like really hip shops all over the place all kinds of like themed advent calendars and all kinds of different things like that so it's really trendy and i think because of that a lot more people have gotten interested in it and to varying degrees of understanding what it is but the basic description i would give is that um uh traditionally uh the church has had what's called the church calendar you know christian churches have had the church calendar which is a series of festivals and seasons that um the church will you know it's like a cycle it's a yearly cycle that they'll repeat every year and it has different aspects that there aren't like holidays almost and and seasons leading up to the holidays to focus on various different aspects of christianity um the holidays are pretty big part of our culture just generally. Just generally. Yeah. Because the big ones are like Easter and Christmas. Christmas. Um, which both of those are are like holidays, which the term holiday comes from holy days. So, you know, they were these holy days, these church holy days. Easter being when we recognize the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. Um, the resurrection especially is the the focus of Easter. And Christmas being when we talk about the birth of Jesus, um, specifically, but um, there's a oh, lot of other holiday holidays. Yeah, there's just... there's other ones that are part of it, and like I said, there's like seasons that lead up to them mm-hmm. as well, and that surround them because Christmas is kind of a whole season. There's several days of Christmas. Same with Easter. Mm. A lot of Eastern Orthodox churches. Easter's the big one for them and they'll celebrate Easter for like two weeks straight. It's not mm. just like a day. It's like a like two weeks of celebration yeah, yeah, for yeah. Easter for them. And so various denominations and various churches have done varying levels of celebration of these various holidays and these various church calendars. Mm. Traditionally, what most people will associate with these holidays and with the church calendar are churches that they call lit- liturgical churches or high churches. Um Catholic churches, Anglican churches, Episcopalian churches, some Presbyterian churches. And these are churches that, uh, uh, Methodist even a few. And so a lot of these churches are the ones that you'll see with the the people will wear robes and the, there'll be candles and incense and 
big cathedrals and um, ritual, a lot of ritual to the various mm. different things they do. As contrasted with your more casual evangelical churches, non-denominational churches, non-denominational evangelical churches kind of being the opposite extreme. Which they're considered low churches? Low churches is mm-hmm. what a lot of people call it. And these are churches where people dress casually, like me and you dress. Yeah. Um, you know, the preacher or the, the, the pastor doesn't wear anything different or special compared to the congregation. And, uh, you know, the church calendar is not necessarily a major part of their Apart from like maybe Christmas and Easter, right? They usually will celebrate yeah. Christmas and Easter. But the other aspects of the church calendar, they won't. But the thing is that uh, Christmas is the culmination of a whole other season that is attached to it in the traditional church calendar, which these high churches will celebrate, um, and that season being Advent. And the season of Advent represents a whole bunch of different things. But the, the, the focus of Advent is um, sort of anticipation. And it's an, a season for us as Christians to uh, empathize and connect with the way that the Jews must have felt when they were um, anticipating and waiting for the coming Messiah, you know, when they were in this season of waiting. You know, there's this longing in their heart to see the Messiah come. And... Um, and then the the answer to that anticipation and that waiting is Christmas. Christmas is the moment when when Jesus arrives, the Messiah is here. So we connect with that, we empathize with how the Jews felt, but also it's a time for us to connect with our own longing for the second coming of Jesus. You know, as Christians, we believe Jesus is going to come back and establish once and for all, you know, the the the, the new heavens and the new earth. And so it's also a season for us to connect with that longing and that anticipation that we have for the second coming of Jesus. Um, but specifically, it's supposed to connect a lot with sadness and maybe some of the more melancholy emotions and feelings that we might have, um, especially our sadness at the brokenness of the world, our hope for redemption, our hope for things to be made right someday. And um, that sort of longing is the word, you know, for for a better tomorrow, a better day. Uh, You know, the the, the whole season focuses on a lot of those things. Um, And so it's, it's supposed to kind of start there and ramp up slowly to get you into the mood so that when Christmas comes, it can really be an awesome celebration. So Advent then is a longing for the King to come yeah. and rule over all of the darkness that's in the right. world and make it right. Right. Essentially. Right. And so a lot, a lot of people know about Christmas, but they don't know about Advent. Um, but like a lot of our favorite Christmas songs are actually Advent songs um, mm. that are sung traditionally during the Advent season leading up to Christmas. My personal favorite is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Mm. And if you ever listen to the, if you ever read the lyrics and look at it, um, that one is an, is an Advent song specifically. And it says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. You know, it's a, it's, it's a calling for, it's saying, oh, please come, come, Emmanuel. And that's why in the Christmas story, you have this amazing thing where it says, you know, the, the angel says that Jesus is, is coming and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's that 
answer to that longing that is in that Okamokam Emmanuel. And so the Advent season, I think it has a lot of benefits um, specifically, but I'm pretty new to it. I mm. uh, grew up in more of a low church, so I haven't had the experience of learning about the liturgies or any of that kind of stuff. And I don't know why, but for whatever reason, Advent is an easy one. It's like the it's like the gateway drug for liturgy <laughs> for a lot of people. Um, it's an easy one for a lot of people to jump into. And so I have been seeing a lot more low churches start incorporating Advent into their services um, leading up to Christmas. You had a little bit more experience, though, with Advent. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as we're kind of setting the stage, what was your experience with Advent? Um, you said especially as a kid you had a little bit more experience, right? Yeah, so I grew up in a very uh, high Presbyterian church. Okay. Um, and virtually every part of that service was scripted and we would say the same responsive readings every week and the pastor would say the same things after he would say a prayer right before he read read uh preached or anything like that so it was very like i ended up as a small kid like memorizing almost the entire service because he would say the same thing every week. Um, and we'd always say the apostles creed every week. And, uh, when we got to Christmas, we would, um, go through their version of Advent. And, uh, I was reading up on different ways that churches celebrate Advent and different, different, uh, like methods and yeah, different. And everybody does it different. I'm realizing, but, um, we really focused on, uh, four individual candles that represented the individual Sundays. And we would do it four Sundays before Christmas Eve. And on Christmas Eve, we'd actually have a candlelight service and we'd light a fifth candle on the candlelight service. And then, um, Christmas day, um, we'd celebrate, you know, in our homes essentially. And, uh, so the, I was always around it, right? You know, mm-hmm. like it was a it was a part of my childhood was always being, but I didn't have any concept of ad, Advent ha, representing sadness. To me, it was always a ramp on to Christmas. You sure. know, like it was a really like uh, you it's know, like slowly getting it was you slowly up to into getting into, into Christmas, and you're just like, for me as a kid, it was like, oh, we're counting down the candles to, towards to uh, the presence under the tree sure. you know sure. <laughs> and so i had no concept of advent being a sad time and the church didn't really ever really teach that mm-hmm. you know um and so it wasn't until around uh 1819 i picked up a book by um fleming rutledge actually um it's called the once and future king um and not the once and future king what am i yeah, saying so yeah, no, 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 no. king arthur is it it is it is once and <laughs> It's basically a book on Advent. I can't remember the title. Okay. Um, but by Fleming Rutledge. Yeah, by Fleming Rutledge, and uh, uh, she. It's basically a collection of uh, sermons that she preached in an Episcopalian church where they were also a high church, and her, the once and future coming of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. That's it. Yep. And uh, she does a beautiful job in her sermons all based off of Advent, explaining what Advent actually means. And that was the first time I really uh, was clued into the idea of Advent being this time in which you're longing for Christ to, to return in a period in which he's not in your life right now. And that is sad, you know, mm-hmm. and that is, that is heartbreaking. And that 
um, we are longing for the day when he will come and will um, make everything right. So, yeah, that's kind of my journey is I, I didn't have any connection with it as a kid, if it being like a sad time. Right. And it wasn't until I read Fleming Rutledge's book that that started to make sense. And now I think any time in your life can be Advent, like a time in your life when you're, you feel like God is not near to you, you know, and you're crying out to him, asking him to come near to you. I think that's also Advent, right? Yeah. Like, I think that that is, um, you engaging in that. And that's where I think Advent as a ritual that churches can do can bring a lot of meaning in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Because frankly, a lot of times churches don't ever rest in, uh, that period of our lives where we feel like God is not near. It's like the thing that we try and fix (laughs) and like move on from. Um, And to find something in our church history where they actually sat in that and lamented in that and wrote songs from that is really powerful, I think. And so it's like a season, uh, an opportunity to to focus on the times when we feel distant from God, when we want more of God, when we want to draw closer to God, but it feels like he's far. It feels like we don't know if he's listening to us. It feels, you know, all those sort of things. Yeah. And like I said, there's a lot of connections that we can feel at that moment with the, with the Israelites and the way they would have felt longing and waiting for the Messiah to come. Yeah. I remember I had a really cool conversation one time with, um, with, uh, a friend of mine at, at my church that I grew up at Eastwind. Um, and this friend, um, he, uh, grew up Anglican. He grew up in an Anglican church. So he did all the high church liturgies and all that kind of stuff. Um, for a lot of reasons, he was no longer part of the Anglican church and he was attending our church at Eastwind, which is much more low church. And he plays in the band. He's a cool guy. His name's David. Shout out David. I don't know if you're watching, but he's a cool (laughs) guy. Um, I had a really awesome conversation with David where he was telling me he misses some of the liturgies, you know, from his Anglican upbringing. And um, he talked about several of the ones he misses, and he misses some of the classic traditional church music that he grew up with. He's a great organ player, and he missed some of those awesome organ <laughs> songs. Um, but he told me the thing he hates the most about the church now that we were in at Eastwind, and the thing he misses the most was Advent. Mm. Um And what he was upset with was that usually starting around after Thanksgiving, my church would start playing Christmas songs. And so they would immediately, you know, first Sunday after Thanksgiving, they would start playing songs, you know, um, joy to the world would be a big one, you know, joy to the world. And they would, and he was, David was especially frustrated because he just told me, it's, you can't just go straight into joy. He said, I feel like you have to, you need this season to, to, to lean into it, to grow into it before you get straight to the joy. He said he felt like it was jumping the gun to just go straight into, oh, it's joy to the world. Oh, everything's great. Oh, you know, we're so happy, all this kind of stuff. Um, he felt like to experience joy fully, you need a season at least a little bit to express some of your sadnesses some of your laments some of the things that you are concerned about and and some of the things that you are uh sad about you know especially and he felt like it was just artificial and to immediately jumping into joy 
to just go straight into Christmas songs. He really missed that season of Advent, which he felt like was great and it was like good catharsis and it really helped you get a lot of those feelings out so that when Christmas finally came, you were like able to experience it even more fully. And I thought it was a great analogy for the issue I see in a lot of the church today, which is that we are so allergic to negative emotions, especially sadness. We have no room for it in our churches. We don't want to get, we don't want to make space for sadness. Church is only about joy (laughs) that we sort of artificially pump in the joy (laughs) all the time. Um, And I think because of that, we're actually limiting our joy because I think human beings need seasons. There's a, there's a time for laughter and a time for mourning. And I don't think we make a time for mourning in the church as much. And I really do think we're, we're missing out. I think if we gave more time for, for mourning, for sadness, for somber reflection, then our joys would be even more joyful in a lot of ways. I, and I think it's, it's really great that this is all connected with Christmas because um, Christmas is such a big deal in our culture, you know, in, in the United States, it's the biggest holiday for everybody. Um, the, uh, like business of Christmas is huge. You yeah. know, yeah. businesses will make all of the, you know, half of their revenue for the year. They'll make on Christmas, on Christmas, you know, black Friday onward. Mm-hmm. Um, and, a lot I've heard a lot of people that have lamented the sort of commercialization of Christmas and how like fake it is now and how it's just all you know cheesy Hallmark movies and Christmas music and you know they're pushing it earlier and earlier and all this kind of stuff and I think what people are are subconsciously missing in that moment is that sort of like time for somber reflection to then lead you into the joys that are supposed to come for Christmas. And it's especially interesting. I notice we're missing this a lot because Christmas is actually a sad time for a lot of people I know. I've talked to a lot of people who have loved ones that have passed away that aren't there at Christmas anymore, you know? And so when Christmas Day comes around, it's not happy for them. It's 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 sad because they just think of those those friends and family members that aren't there anymore. You know, or I have other friends that maybe don't have close family or don't have other close friends to spend Christmas with. So Christmas can become extra lonely and, you know, they just get reminded of their loneliness and all this kind of stuff. And it, I've talked to some of those friends and they say that it's so disconcerting because most everyone else is so happy at Christmas that they feel like a small minority who are so sad at Christmas. And that, um, disconnect there I think could partly be be helped a little bit if we just gave ourselves a a time and a season to express some of those feelings a little bit more express some of those mourning and sadness and different things like that yeah and I think that's one of the amazing things about Christmas uh, Advent specifically is it it gives you a time to do that (laughs) it gives you a time where it says it's okay to be sad in church (laughs) and I think that is useful and helpful yeah and I think it helps you understand the biblical story of Christmas more too, because I feel like we sort of Advent gets lost in that intertestament, intertestament, 
what's the word <laughs> intertestamental mental thank you <laughs> in, in, intertestamental period where uh you have about 400 years in which no books of the bible were written mm-hmm. um the people of israel change governments about four times <laughs> right um and they end up in a revolt they overthrow a government but then are immediately taken over by the romans they have horrible things happen to them. They're persecuted religiously. Um, uh, even one government walks in and sacrifices a pig on an altar in their temple just to like spite them, spite them and then yeah. forces them to eat it. Uh, and so like there, I feel like a lot of the, by the time you start to read the story of Mary and Joseph, a lot of Christians don't really, uh, we don't know the backstory. You don't know the backstory of how yeah. you got to, Mary and Joseph being alone going to an inn and there being no room right. like there's not a lot of context surrounding we jump that. straight into the Christmas story but mm-hmm. we don't know the prequels yeah exactly and, exactly um yeah just to step back a little bit because mm-hmm. yeah there you like you mentioned there's a lot of stuff that happens because mm-hmm. basically you know you got uh, a lot of books in the Old Testament they're not necessarily in chronological order but um, towards the end of the Old Testament, the last few books are the prophetic books, right? It's mm-hmm. um, well, Zachary, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, you know, the ones that happen historically. Depending last. on which Bible you use, but yes, it's probably <laughs> Malachi's the last book. Yeah, Malachi's the last book, but historically, it's like Zechariah and yeah, uh, uh, Haggai and um, uh, Zephaniah are like the very last, and Malachi, Malachi. Are, are like the last, last ones in chronological, in order. chronological order. Kind of the, yeah. towards the end. And if you've been following, you know, there's a whole story arc to that Old Testament that I, I really didn't learn until recently. And I would love to go into that in more detail at some other point later. But, you know, going all the way from Genesis, all the way through the people of Israel, they go through a time of exile where they are exiled from the promised land. You know, the, the, the Israelites are unfaithful to God, unfaithful to the covenant. And as punishment, they are scattered and exiled in Babylon. And, you know, they can't. Uh, there's a remnant that stays in the land of Israel, but most of them get exiled to other places. And then slowly uh, you have different stories in different parts of the prophetic books and the historical books, but they they come back. They Mm -hmm. come back from their exile physically, and they are back in the promised land, and they rebuild the temple, and... They rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and they're trying to kind of rebuild their their culture and their society and their their people. But there's this missing presence of God that that they notice is not fully there yet. You know, yeah. in, in the temple, in in the, the, they they feel like they have served their sentence. They've they've done mm-hmm. their exile, they're back, they're trying to be faithful. Yeah, specifically in Ezra, they build the temple and they're waiting for God's glory to fall on it like it did when Solomon built the right. temple and God's glory doesn't fall on the mm-hmm. temple. And then they all just weep over the fact that, you know, God's not with them. Right. You know? Right. And so then <laughs> it's kind of crazy because that's how the Old Testament ends. Yeah, it <laughs> ends literally with God them. not there. Yeah, um, it ends with they, this moment of like, well, God's not here. He didn't come back. We came back, but God did not. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> that 
then leads into this period of time that they call it the intertestamental period, which mm-hmm. is that that about four hundred years between that last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament. And during that whole season, that is the emotion that that people are feeling. They are back in Israel. They are living in the land that God promised them in the promised land, but God is not there with His people in the same way that He was in the uh, in the beginning when the when Solomon temple built his temple and when you had all those blessings of the Davidic kingdom. And so, because of that. Um, you have this whole stretch of time where they're trying to figure out why that is. That's a lot of the backstory behind all the different uh, Jewish parties we talked about in you know the other episode, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Zealots, all of them. Um, I like to point out especially the Pharisees because you know they get a really bad rap by a lot of people in the New Testament, and rightly so. But one of their big things, the reason they were so obsessed with fulfilling the law and being real faithful to the Torah, was that they were hoping that God was just waiting for them to be extra faithful, and then he was going to come back. And so so they were like pushing really hard to make every Jew perfect. Perfect. Because they're like, look, if we can perfectly follow the law, then God's going to come back. Mm. And so you can, I, I can relate to them. I can relate yeah, to yeah, why yeah, they yeah. were wanting to do that, why, they, why, why that was their hope. So that's why they're pushing so hard yeah. <laughs> for for everybody to be like extra faithful and observant <laughs> to the law. Um, and all of that comes in that intertestamental period. There's a really cool thing. Interesting too. Interestingly as well. Cause I think a lot of people don't understand what Hanukkah is about. You know? Yeah. 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 We, we all think Hanukkah is like a Jewish Christmas for whatever reason, just cause they happen in similar times of the year. Yeah. But um, Hanukkah happens the, the the events that in, that eventually lead to the festival of Hanukkah happen in that intertestamental period, um, and it's related to that incident you mentioned of the uh, there's a there's a foreign king that comes in and he defiles the temple by uh, sacrificing a pig you know which is unclean in Jewish law and, and you know the Jews don't eat pork and and he's defiling the temple because he goes into the Jewish temple and he sacrifices a pig on the altar that's um, kind of this ultimate offense to God and to the Jewish people. And then there's this massive revolt, um, the Maccabean revolt, mm. where the Jews kind of rise up against the the king, the king and they take back their land. And um, they experience a little bit of a prosperity bit. before the Romans come in. And then, <laughs> or technically Alexander the Great. The <laughs> Greeks come in and then the Romans come in afterwards. Yeah. Um, but Hanukkah is the time when they celebrate that Maccabean revolt and the fact that they took back their their temple and their land. And so a lot of people call it the Festival of Lights. And then interestingly, in the book of John, we see Jesus celebrating Hanukkah. Yeah. You know, yeah. He, he celebrated the Festival of Lights along with everybody else, which I always think is a really cool thing to think about. Yeah. But this is a long tangent. My Your, your basic point, My point which was I think, that, was yeah. that that intertestamental period is especially what we're supposed to relate to in the season of Advent. Mm-hmm. It's super dark. It's is this really... dark time when we are like the same way that the Jews were like, where is God? We want God to be here with us. O come, Emmanuel, God with us. You know, that's the that's the word, that's the phrase they want. They want God with them again. They want God to be with them again. And so they're just praying, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And that's what the season of Advent is kind of 
connecting to yeah that time that age that season what they were feeling and that's what we kind of relate to when we celebrate Advent right as well. and then i guess we should talk about the second coming now because the weird thing is that while jesus has come and he's died uh and risen again and now is king he's also not fully come back you know the second right. he's not fully it's, it's hard language because you want to say he's already king but he's not yet king it's like this double thing where he's already lord but will become lord even more right um right and that's a that's a topic yeah <laughs> a whole nother deep dive we could go into that but but yeah he's he's it's this already but not yet aspect of the kingdom and that's where where we especially as christians can really get something out of advent because in the same way that the Jews were waiting for the first coming of Jesus, mm-hmm. we are now anticipating and waiting for that second coming. And I think especially 2020 is <laughs> the perfect year to celebrate Advent yeah. and, and to, to really lean into that season. Because I think this year has especially shown us why we long for that new heavens and that new earth when the world is made right. Because we have seen just how bad this earth <laughs> can get yeah. in this season. And so um, I thought it was especially necessary to take time in the church to to lament, to find space for sadness, to um, be uh, present in those emotions, um, especially this year. Yeah. And I was thinking about this in terms of like funerals actually, because Mm. if you think about it as a Christian, especially of the person that died as a believer, then why celebrate a funeral? Like, I mean, why hold a funeral where you're all sad, right? You know, Mm -hmm. like, because, Oh, we're going to see each other again one day in heaven. So like, why be sad in a funeral if we believe that this person's going to rise again one day. Right. Right. And I think that funerals are a mini advent, you know, they're this moment where, um, Yes, uh, we will be able to see the people that died again and we'll be able to know joy in that and we don't have to worry about them being gone forever, but we still want to give time and space right. for mourning and loss right. for those people that have lost them now. Right. And that's really what Advent is about right. too, is that it's that knowing that right now, you know, I don't believe that Jesus wanted COVID-19 to happen. You know, like I don't think that like uh, there, I don't think that Jesus wants anybody to die. You know, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all, you know, like those are, those are the types of verses that you see that like uh, indicate that God is this type of person that doesn't like the pains and sufferings that we have in the world. And there is um, a space carved out in uh, the story of the Bible in which we're able to mourn in a season of Advent in that way, you know? Yep. And I think, I think that's really the important thing that for us as Christians today, yes, we look back to how the Israelites were waiting for their Messiah to come and uh, in this very dark period, but we are also now waiting for Jesus to come and fix all of the mess that's still existing right. in the world today, you know, and, and trying, you know, we're hoping that ultimately um, a lot of the pains that happen in our lifetime, when he comes back, those will be um, 
removed. So yeah, I think I think that's the that's where it's both a past looking thing. You know, right. you're looking to the past and you're looking to Christmas and all of that, but you're also looking to the future and looking at what's to come. Right. Um, and I've actually heard it talked about a lot how a certain brand of Christianity is very past minded. Like we talk way more about Jesus's death on the cross and what he did in the past right. and not a lot about the second coming at all. Right. You know, like we uh, ask yourself, when's the last time you heard your pastor preach on the second coming? Right. Um, and you'll find that it doesn't happen a lot. Right. <laughs> like there's just not a lot of uh, talk about it anymore. And the belief is that I hold at least is that when we are so past minded when it comes to Christianity and we're just focused on what Jesus did on the cross and not focused on his eventual second coming, um, you lose hope really. Like yeah. you, you lose that, that thing that you're looking towards. You, you'll have faith in abundance, but you'll have faith in what he did in the past, but you won't have hope in the future and and i think that's that's the importance of advent a lot of the time is to do that that's awesome yeah i agree 100 percent. that's definitely one of the benefits or, or one of the purposes of advent is is to to give your mind and body and soul like a like a a direction to look mm. forward to yeah so in the same way that the Jews were longing and wishing for the Messiah to come that that they were they were looking forward to that day when the Messiah would come and we can do the same thing looking forward to the day when um the Lord will come again and set everything right right and um and and that is hopeful and I agree with you that 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 is what we can lose a little bit um I think in some ways that was what I was hoping to do um with my sermon on Sunday mm. was just give us a little bit of hope in the middle of such a dark season. Yeah. Um, because, uh, there is a good promise of everything being set right. And my purpose in sun on the sermon on Sunday was to say, and the awesome part about it is that the, the one who has promised this future to us, you know, the God who promised us that this new heavens and the new earth will come is, ultra faithful to his promises. He always keeps his promises. And Jesus is an amazing proof of that fact that he always keeps his promises. Um, but I'm not going to repeat the whole sermon thing. If you, <laughs> if you want to hear that whole thing, go check out the sermon uh, from last Sunday. It's still, uh, the stream is still up. You get to see Toby too. Yeah. Yeah. Toby <laughs> makes a cameo in it. So, you know, give as many reasons for y'all to check that out as possible. But yeah, that hope and that future, orientation of advent i do think is a useful part of it so just as we finish up here a little bit today what does advent look like usually for churches like just what what do people do you mentioned mm. the candles a little bit yeah yeah um you've learned a little bit more about what those candles mean right mm -hmm. and, yeah, yeah yeah what each represents how does that work so usually in churches that's kind of a big aspect of advent they have like a a set of Five candles? It depends on each church. Okay. Some do four, some do five. And um, so there's like four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Mm -hmm. And yep. so they'll do, you'll light one yes. candle every Sunday. And some churches who do the fifth one, that's for... That's um, for Christmas Eve, Christmas basically. Eve, they light one yeah. more candle mm -hmm. on Christmas yeah. Eve. And so what do each of those candles represent? So basically, uh, the first one is the prophet candle. 
Um, and that's to remind all of us of the promises of the Messiah coming <laughs> and our waiting and longing for these prophecies to be fulfilled. So it's generally the first Sunday you light that candle and uh, you generally lead a lot of, you, you lead your congregation in several of the prophecies. Generally Micah 5, 2 is mentioned, which is, um, well, that, that's the second one too, but several, several prophecies are mentioned um, that correlate with the coming of the King um, mm-hmm. and the coming of all things being made right. So that's candle one. Uh, second, Sunday, you light what's called the Bethlehem candle. Mm -hmm. And the Bethlehem candle is meant to symbolize uh, the coming of uh, Jesus in the town of Bethlehem as a child. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bethlehem is a town that's very humble. Um, In the Hebrew, it literally just translates as house of bread. (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, bread was like the cheapest food that you could find, really. And so from everything that we can tell, it was a very humble town. And so generally it symbolizes uh, the hope that you have, but also the humility of Jesus coming in uh, to such a small town as Bethlehem, essentially, and it being heralded now as the place where the king will be born. Yeah. Uh, And so you kind of focus on that aspect. And um, I'm picking one tradition, by the way. There's so many different traditions. So if you happen to be of a church that doesn't do it this way, that's okay. I'm not saying that this is the right way. There's just way totally like there's just right. a lot of different ways to do it. Yeah. Um, this is one that has this resonated is, yeah, with this, you. This is the one we did when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the third week, um, they light what's called the shepherd candle. And the shepherd candle is essentially uh, looking towards the um, shepherds tending the flocks by night when the angels visit them. Um, and... Uh, reminding us that one Jesus is our shepherd and will lead us out of the darkness and into the light. Um, but also to, uh, the, uh, also emphasizing the humbleness of who the angels end up visiting are these smelly sheep herding right. people that are, they don't go to the king, they don't, and the yeah. aristocrats mm-hmm. and the, you know, powerful, they go to a group of shepherds in a field. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then the last candle, usually called the peace candle, um, is uh, Jesus is born as a child in a manger. And we celebrate Jesus being born on that last uh, fourth candle. Um, and generally there's this, this is usually the candle that you'll sing like Silent Night, Holy Night too, And all is calm, all is quiet. And there's this like reverence and peace. And uh, they focus on the angel's after they tell the shepherds the good news, um, the angels all like there's a multitude in the sky and they say, um, peace on earth. Uh, what's, good what's will the line? to men. Good will to men. Thank yeah. you. Um, and uh, so that's the celebration of the angels um, rejoicing, essentially. And you as a congregation join with the angels in singing um, for Christ's birth, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of the, that's the, the tradition that we, we walked through, yep. um, when I was in Advent and that's kind of the mental focus is yeah. to walk yourself through the story of Christmas. Did you all ever do one of those Advent calendars? Have you, or have you heard familiar with Um, those? I never did it at the Presbyterian church. Um, I do know, I think the Methodist church that I was a part of for a year and a half did, but I don't remember... For some reason, Advent in that season, I don't remember 
taking part in. I don't know why, yeah. um, but I just don't remember. So no. Yeah, it's that. That's been another one of those things that I've noticed has become really trendy with a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, even like different really hip shops that I know of that aren't Christian at all. You know, they're just like cool mm-hmm. spots to get candles and deck decor for your house or whatever will sell advent calendars now. And there's all kinds of like themed advent calendars. Like I saw like a, a Marvel themed mm-hmm. advent calendar and a Harry Potter themed advent calendar and different things like that. And so um, that's another part of the tradition for certain people. Um, I think especially like British and other European cultures make an advent calendar uh, like an at home way that uh, the family can also participate in the season of Advent up away from the Sunday services and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And, um, the, you know, the Advent calendar is like a daily thing where there's like a, usually like a piece of candy or something in a little spot for each day of the, uh, advent season leading up to the advent season Hmm. and there's a different thing that the that the parents can kind of focus on for each day leading up to uh through the season of advent leading up to christmas and there's like a little candy you take that day and you give to the kid and you know help them understand a particular idea there's a weird um kind of uh conservative evangelical pseudo advent calendar thing that i've noticed some people do my parents used to do this with me where you get like an egg carton. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. You get like an egg carton and there's like a different little like symbolic thing that they put in each of the 12. Yeah. Uh, egg carton we things. did this at Easter though, not at, uh, um, at, egg, at Christmas. No, we did this at Easter is what, yeah, you, that's uh, what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. This is like a pseudo advent calendar type thing. Oh, that, that they did at that Easter. Evangelical churches. Okay. Gotcha. At Easter. Cause we also did it at Easter. Okay. And it like leads you up to Easter, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. and each one, each one. There's like, like a thorn, a crown of yeah, thorns in thorn, one. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, the last one's empty because it's the because empty the tomb. grave is empty. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, I, you did that too. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Um, but I'm just using that as an example of saying that's um, a similar thing that um, that to what the advent calendar is supposed to serve. You know, each day has a different area of focus, a different thing that it focuses yeah, on and all yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's especially useful for teaching children, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. some of the aspects of it. So um, we are going to participate in Advent this, this year, year as Wayfarers, as a church. We're going to do our own spin on it, as we always do. But um, we think it, especially this year, like I was saying, in the 2020, it's, it's going to be, useful and helpful to have a season and a time to express lament and sorrow and longing for the future, the second coming of Christ. So I wanted to make sure to give, you know, any of members of our church the opportunity to do that. Um, and, uh, we're going to try to focus on a different one of these concepts as we go through that season. And I'm especially hopeful that it will, culminate in a Christmas that is especially um, joyful for us mm. because maybe by giving ourselves some space to express some of those other feelings then it can kind of culminate 
in an extra happy and joyful season of Christmas in a year that has been so dark. Yeah. Then hopefully uh, it can at least end on a really bright note. And I think part of helping it end on a bright note is going through that time first of Advent. So we're going to try to do it. Um, We'll go into it a little bit more detail next week Mm -hmm. on Advent specifically. Um, Just kind of help what that'll look like. And then, you know, we will kind of take it from there. Um, Do you have anything else you wanted to say? Yeah, I was going to ask you, uh, because we have about 10 more minutes. Um, Five more, I think. Five more? Okay, cool. Your clock's wrong. Quick question. Yeah. (laughs) All my clock's in this office. So... so you were saying that you want this to be a time where like Christmas leads into like a really joyful, joyful period or whatever. Do you feel like uh, the season of Advent leading up to Christmas is different than the season of Easter and the the excitement that you have at Easter? Because I feel like Christmas is a different kind of joy and excitement than like maybe mm-hmm. Easter is. You yeah, know? no, that's a that that is one we could talk about for a whole yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because another f- famous liturgical season that's similar to Advent is the season of Lent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Lent is a season that high churches will observe leading up to Easter, which mm-hmm. is supposed to serve the same purpose. It's it's a, it's a, a season to lament our own sin, our mm. own sinfulness, and the fact that our sin is what has put Jesus on the cross in a, in a way, you know? And so Lent is a time to just like really focus in on that um, and, you know, focus in on our own weakness and people will give up something for Lent. You know, usually they'll fast from something specifically during Lent. Mm-hmm. And um, the purpose of that is also supposed to help it so that Easter is extra joyful. Mm-hmm. And um, Eastern Orthodox churches are actually like huge on Easter. Like Christmas is just kind of a simple thing for them. Easter is the big one. You know, in, in a lot of Eastern Orthodox countries, um, Easter is when they do the big party and they have mm. like two weeks of festivals and families get together to eat and gifts are given and all this kind of stuff. They do it at Easter, but they also do the same thing. The season of Lent helps to just contrast and make even better the season of Easter. Mm. And so I do think there's some similarities there where... Um, there's some wisdom to it, you know? Yeah. I'm um, currently m- myself, I'm not of the opinion that like every church needs to observe these church holidays in this church calendar. Yeah, yeah. I know some people that are, some people think, you know, we need to be doing this. But I do think that there's some, some wisdom to it. I think th- for thousands of years, Christians have been trying to think through how to orient their lives in such a way so as to connect better with God and with the story of redemption found in the Bible. And I think this church calendar is at least one way that wise Christians that have come before us have been like, this is a good way to to orient our feelings and our emotions and, and focus us in on God. And I think, especially in modern churches where we don't learn from the history of the church a little bit more, we miss out on the wisdom of that sometimes. Mm. Um, the the generations of Christians that have come before us, they were thinking through stuff and they were going through a lot of tough times too. They had their own pandemics and their <laughs> own uh, difficult times to go through. And I think uh, it takes a little bit of humility on our part to be like, you know what, I think they maybe had a good idea with this. I think this is a cool way for us to mm-hmm. also um, 
engage in a season and a time and a holiday to um, to better connect with God. And so that's what I want to do. You know, I want to I want to just take a time to practice something that Christians for thousands of years have been doing, and um, maybe hopefully we can also learn a little bit from mm. what is the wisdom and the awesome things that they may have learned when they were going through these seasons and these church calendars. So that's awesome. So we're going to try it. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. But I'm excited. I, it, it, excited to be sad. Excited to be sad. <laughs> <laughs> so if that doesn't hook you, I don't know what will. <laughs> Tune in this Sunday, um, seven o'clock. We're just going to uh, be live streaming and we'll be um, kind of leading into this and, and going into this season of Advent. So I would love to see you all there. <laughs> What's up, everybody? This is Nick Griffin. I am uh, the lead pastor here at Wayfarers Christian Church, and I just wanted to thank you for, for tuning into our podcast. Listen, if you found this podcast helpful or Uh, at least entertaining, would you consider helping us out financially? All the money we receive goes to provide living wages for all our staff, and we would definitely appreciate any support you can give. You can give at wayfarerscc.com slash give. And like I said, we super appreciate the support. Thank you and blessings. Blessings.